sup, influencers. Let's get booge. Yo, yo, yo. What is up, everyone? How are you doing? It's a goddamn Friday show. Hope you've all had a fantastic week. And uh, I trust those of you that joined me at the Patreon meetup uh, a week ago now are fully recovered, as indeed I am. Uh, If you are interested in joining my cult, by the way, uh, and it is a cult, I am looking for full devotion with this, full dedication, uh, so that when they come to cancel me, I have a full-blown army of you people to cushion that blow. Uh, If you are interested in joining and getting into our our little, uh, little family... Uh, all, all good cults describe themselves as a family, I think. Uh, then jump on patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson with an I-N at the end. Uh, there's three tiers. Uh, it starts at £3 a month. And then you can get in on the London meetups, the Discord chat that we have where we just pretty much talk shit about Tories uh, all day. There's an exclusive RSS feed, so you get all of the episodes of the podcast two days ahead of everybody else. You get credited uh or named and shamed depending on who you're bragging to uh you get credited at the end of the show as a supporter as a paid up member of the team and uh and look it's 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 cheaper than an elon musk verified account so come on you know let's make this happen people um i mean you won't be verified but you will feel validated uh that's an a thompson price promise my guest tonight uh because it's a friday night right guys Friday night, that means two things. Firstly, I will be drunk and crying at the bar of the Queen's Arms within the next four hours, but it also means it's guest time. It's a Friday night guest show. And my guest this week is a returning favourite from season one of the pod. Uh, He's a senior lecturer at the University of Sussex, uh, a published author of the book Podcasting, The Audio Media Revolution. And tonight... No doubt against legal advice, he's agreed to come back on to talk about his new sci-fi podcast set in the future where everyone's forgotten what it means to be human. It's created for kids. You need to check it out. It's called The Res. Uh, ladies and gents, welcome back to the show, Dr. Dr. Martin Goddamn Spinelli. Woo! Thank you very much, Aid. I am so happy to be back. Sure. Well, I'm uh, I'm happy that you're here. How have you been, man? Last time we were chatting, uh, it was sort of all pretty dark and dystopian. Yeah. We talking about... and, uh, and I woke up this morning and it was still quite dark and dystopian. <laughs> Although I have had some good news. I have been, since we last spoke, promoted to professor. Oh, well, so I am my whole the, intro then. That's okay. No, no, because it gives me a chance to brag. So oh. I am the first professor of podcasting in the UK, and I'm Go pretty you. chuffed about that. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. And how's that going? Um, you know, it's uh, I get to call myself professor, and that's about it. Now every year I have to apply for a pay raise rather than it coming automatically. So that's I'm great. not overwhelmed with uh, the human resources office at the university of sussex but there you go okay okay yeah i mean i suppose the title professor like it's it's nice it's like like you can brag about it but then when you want the pay rise it's like what can i actually buy with this title right yeah <laughs> i can buy a gig on your show aid i think sure that's probably about it and that's all that matters it is yeah um <laughs> i was going to say so like the, the the conversation that we had last time we were talking about murdoch and his influence over the uh, the media landscape primarily, but also as like a, a byproduct of that, the political landscape. Um, you're right that things are quite dark and dystopian now, probably more so. Um, but professionally for you, like given, given the glib nature of the convo that we had before, it's nice to see that you sort of pivoted and then moved to something so positive and uplifting, right? Yeah, no, I'm I'm really delighted uh, to be here talking to you about the Res, which is a really really wonderful project that is doing some good in the world. So yeah, you and I we can sit around and moan um, and uh, and wag fingers and diss Tories, which is a you know it's it is a really a fulfilling pastime. However, um, uh, there are opportunities to actually try and engage with the world in a positive way and you know that cliche be the change so the res is uh is a sci-fi adventure drama for kids 7 to 11 years old we're just launching this week season two and it was built on 
a lot of the latest child psychology, child development research done by the Cress Lab at the University of Sussex. That's the Children's Relationships, Emotions, and Social Skills Lab, right. which is run by Robin Banerjee, who's the head of psychology at Sussex. And he was also the lead on the recent BBC Kindness Project. And he's informally referred to as Professor Kindness. Um, right. Where it was my title. Too, yeah. It is, yeah. My, <laughs> that, uh, my, his is in inverted commas, though. Mine, professor of podcasting. That's that's what it really does say on my file at the at the human resources office. For a second, but there, I, I, I thought you were going to say like his is in inverted commas, like professor. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, he was a professor before me, but uh, yeah, the professor of yeah. kindness thing is a uh, is a uh, is something that uh, um, media types have added, and he seems to have leaned into it in in his. Um, usual good spirits. But what they do, what they do at the Crest Lab is they, so they look at primarily children's media diets. So what media they're consuming and how they're consuming it. And they look at the values that those diets generate in the kids. And then they look at the long-term emotional well-being, mental health outcomes of kids who have synthesized particular values from particular media diets. And one of the things that they found, not unsurprisingly, and it's, it's kind of perfectly obvious, and you know, my grandmother said this, I'm sure yours might have done too, um, a lot of it had to do with kindness and with um, showing up as kind in the world, being kind, um, and trying to kind of create kind environments for other people, and being open to receiving kindness. And stories... Um, which model empathy in their characters are also really, really good for helping kids develop resilience and develop positive mental outlooks that mean they have fewer incidences of anxiety and OCD and eating disorders and body image issues later in life. So is there uh, a challenge? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was just wondering, like, is, is there a challenge around how you market that kind of stuff to kids because my recollection of being uh you know sort of eight years old 10 years old probably right up to like 15 maybe maybe even older i don't know it depends on how serious my arrested development was but um uh like how how do you market empathy and kindness to kids at an age where actually the coolest thing is like to be a bad boy or to you know not you know to be a bit of a rebel and yeah um so uh one of the ways we do that is we created a future world which uh is incredibly superficial and pretty nasty in lots of subtle ways and the rebel activity in that world of the future is actually trying to develop real friendships and keeping secrets right. and trusting and being trustworthy you know those are the those are the rebel acts right um that's one way the other way is lots and lots of fart jokes because <laughs> 10 year olds love fart jokes i'm just saying Ten, 10 year olds do yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know where this quote comes from and I, maybe i'm butchering it but i heard someone describe farts or like the the humor within farts they were like the day that you stop laughing at farts is like the day, like they will always be funny. It's like endless humor. Sorry, continue yeah. though. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, so what we've done in terms of trying to reach out to kids and trying to make this um, fun is we have, we've, we've spent a lot of time and a lot of effort, a lot of money getting together good writers, A-list actors, ace sound designers, um, and we've made something that is first and foremost really, really fun and funny um, and engaging. And in fact, off the back of season one, we did focus groups uh, of, of kids in different parts of the country. And we played them the res, we showed them the res comic book, and we asked them questions, questions about the messaging. And more than a few times, the kids didn't notice any messaging at all. It, it's it's so subtle that um, it's buried under all the mayhem and all the slapstick and all the chases and all the explosions. So it's there 
um, it's under the surface and they are um, uh, engaging with the fun parts. However, we have a um, we have a survey, an anonymous survey that kids can do on our website, jointheres.com. Mm-hmm. And we ask them about their understanding and their attitudes about things like kindness and friendship and helping out. And the things that our survey has been registering is an uptick in knowledge and awareness of what kindness is, what kindness looks like, the importance of real friendship and things like that. So the message is really, really subtle, but we also know that it's going in through the survey that we've done off the back of it. So it's, and it's taken a lot of time. You know, there, there are, um, across two seasons, probably about 30 or 35 people involved in this project. So it's a big undertaking with a lot of research behind it. So, you know, I, 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 I'm glad it's doing well, but I'm also, I would be disappointed if it, if it, if it didn't. Yeah. I mean, it sounds sounds like a really interesting project to get involved in. Um, and it's, I, I suppose it speaks to this idea of how far, podcasting has come in general because even like last year i think you and i were talking about how it's this in fact i forgive me i've I've not read your book like cover to cover but i imagine there's a, a healthy chunk in there about how it's it's opened the like the floodgates to independent content and there's a sort of punk rock element to it um uh, yeah, but it's nice that it's sort of now we're getting into this period where actually these this new medium is being used in such a like positive way by the mainstream with legit actors involved and you know. Yeah, yeah, it, I think you're absolutely right. It, it has evolved and evolved quite quickly, and you know I think it's still largely that kind of punk rock vibe. I think it's you know one of the key features of podcasting that we do talk about in the book is how there are no gatekeepers, there are no commissioning editors, there's nobody standing in between you, your idea, and the audience, and that's incredibly empowering. That has really opened the floodgates for a ton of really interesting and creative stuff. The downside of that is it means that, you know, people like you are doing podcasts in their shed in the back garden <laughs> without a lot of support. Right. So it's, it's I, like I'm weird like that, though. I love the grit and the muck yeah, of stuff yeah. like I always have done, like from like whether I, I used to do a lot of music and uh, I was always way more enamored by like filthy, grungy bootleg demos and going to see a band in like a trash bar somewhere than, you know, whoever was at number five in the album charts that week. Um, and then it was the same with, I did stand up comedy for a few years and I was so much more into like the open mic circuit, people printing yeah. their own flyers. Like again, that sort of punk rock sensibility to it. And yeah. so now all of that's whittled down, you know, be- before we started recording, we were talking about our kids, you know, stamping on mm. our social lives and so on. But because I can't get out to gigs and I can't um, do any stand up, then like I I like the fact that it's, a, you know, a podcast in a bit of a grimy shed and there's no budget to it. I, f- I feel like it sort of adds to the charm, you know? Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think and I think, you know, I don't think that's ever going to change about podcasting. I think that that's here to stay. That element is here to stay. And that is, is most podcasts are done in that way. The thing that I'm really pleased about is since we last spoke, there is more money going into it. Uh, there are more serious audio um, projects happening. More professionals are coming into it and trying to figure out how to make money um, and to do things that are really, really good. Obviously, the flip side of that is it is becoming more and more monetized. It is becoming more and more commercial. Um, it is really becoming more and more celebrity-driven in yeah. in a in a way that I don't think is particularly healthy or interesting. Um, however, I am grateful that I can go to the arts council and I can put together a proposal for a lot of money and convince them to give it to me to make a podcast that's going to reach kids. And I, and I do something good with that money. So I'm, I'm pleased that it's developed into a space now that's recognized as having the potential to hit those professional targets. It's funny, we're talking about sort of 
or, or rather we were a second ago talking about kind of punk rock like low budget elements to it as i'm talking to you no doubt the listeners can hear <laughs> the like fireworks popping off <laughs> yes yeah there'll be like kids going Woo-ha, like um anyway um i, I was going to ask so it, like you you mentioned there briefly about sort of pitching this to the arts council um so is your role within this like primarily as a producer or so my role so there's a kind of long story to it which is um i started working on the res with my creative and research partner lance dan of the university of brighton and tim pilcher of soaring penguin publishing it's a Mm. comic comic book publishing company um and at that moment in 2018, a couple of things were happening. Um, our own families were all being touched by adolescent mental health issues, but also those kinds of things were spiking in the country. And incidents of anxiety, stress, mental health disorders among young people mm. were pinging off the top of the charts. Um, the government rather, I will just say pathetically, did their own green paper about it called Transforming Children and Young People's Mental Health Provision, which came out, uh, I think, that year or maybe the year before. And it was really an exercise in rearranging the deck chairs on on the Titanic. Um, There was no no additional funding or no significant funding going into it. so we thought, okay, you know, this is a this is a real issue that's affecting lots and lots of people and our own families. We are creative professionals. We have a lot of contacts. Why don't we try to do something about it? So we developed the project with some comic book writers and some ITV writers and some BBC writers. I applied for uh, an Arts Council grant, a big Arts Council grant for season one. We got it. Um, I was the in season one, the executive producer, one of the writers, and the script supervisor. Uh, for season two, again, I was the one who got the money, uh, managed the whole project. I'm the executive producer, uh, and the script supervisor, and the director this time around. And um, yeah, so it, it's it, it's really something that was born out of me, Lance Dan, and Tim Pilcher working together on this issue that was uh, was touching us and, and a need that we clearly saw. Um, and yeah, so we, we put together a team and uh, and we did season one. And season one broke really, really big in the States. We got listed on the NPR One, NPR National Public Radio in the States, their um, list of new and noteworthy podcasts. We were on the top of that for a while, and that really, really spiked awareness around the res. We cracked into the top 20 in the US and in the UK, um, and we launched season two uh, uh, only a few days ago. And as of yesterday, Aid, we are the number four podcast in Tajikistan. Holy shit, big things, Martin. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. I mean, like yes. I'm, you know, I'm being somewhat, you know, I'm scoffing a little bit, but uh, it's, it doesn't that sort of like fill that would fill me up in yeah. terms of like knowing how far that message has had reached that it had resonated in a country out in the middle of nowhere, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it makes me feel really happy. I'm, 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 you know, and that's that's why you know that's why we did it. You know, we're not. We're, as you know, there's not there's not a lot of money to be made in podcasting unless you are uh, a celebrity already, or yeah. unless you're unless that's sort of built into the DNA from the conception of the podcast. But the res was definitely not that. Yeah, I mean, I like to think of myself as a cult leader that has yes. a podcast. So it's you know the podcast yeah. is the offshoot, but really I'm in it for the Patreon money. Excellent, um, excellent. It's interesting that you so you, you mentioned that. Um, there were various mental health issues, uh, I guess, as a broad subject um, that were touching like you and colleagues and friends and, and so on. And so you decided to do something positive uh, to to address that. Um, I had wondered if it had been something in like your academic career that had presented itself to you where you were like, do you know what? That's that is an area that we could 
that hasn't been explored yet let's let's explore what it might look like if we gave these messages to kids um and then i wondered like maybe because you're a father right i thought maybe you're it's you have a little boy yeah yeah i do yeah yeah um not thought, so little anymore but yeah yeah i i wondered if maybe you were like me where it's like what would my son most like like what if if i produce this podcast is it like if it's the sort of thing that he likes maybe he'll like me more <laughs> <laughs> uh i had none of those mental health issues myself no uh, that's that's unique to your experience but uh uh i you know i did i did want um uh, to do something that would resonate with him and lance uh so lance's son monty does some of the credits for us and uh you know leo my son has a cameo in it and and uh, monty lance's son has a cameo in it um so they're they're you know they're they're represented and they're very happy to be in it uh be a part of it and they play it for their friends um but it's you know it's it, the the kind of whether we identified children's podcasting as a thing before we noticed the need i think they were pretty much concurrent in our minds we, we were finishing the book the book was published our book podcasting the audio media revolution came out in 2019 the very beginning of 2019 we finished it in 2018 um, and we did notice in the course of doing that research that we were focusing on very very particular niche markets in the media world um, and that there weren't that many things for kids we did we have a chapter for young people there's a, a young person's podcast initiative uh in london that grew up off of the back of the 2011 london riots as a way of giving urban young people more of an opportunity to ex express and present themselves in a media space um but they were you know they were teenagers late teenagers rather than uh, preteens, uh, 11, 12, 13 year olds. So we got picked up very early on by Gen Z media in the U S which is the biggest producer of children's and family podcast content in the world. And it was through them that we realized, Oh, actually, at least in the States, there is a huge field of children's podcasting. So we leaned into it even more. And we, the research that I mentioned earlier of the focus groups that we do off the back of our seasons and the creative workshops we do before the, um, uh, before we start writing the scripts to help us generate ideas and to co-create with young people, um, have worked out, have worked out really, really well. So there's, there's a kind of, um, uh, an effort to try and grow kids podcasting here in the UK because in the UK it's still um, quite embryonic compared to what it is in the States. But that's nice. It's like, there's such an open market for it. Like you've got free reign pretty much. You like, you've created this from scratch. You've proven that, that there's a market for it, that it can be a success. Um, yeah. And you've now positioned yourself as, as kind of a thought leader within that genre within the UK, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had never thought of it like that, but um, I seem to remember you—you uh, you have some marketing experience, so maybe I need to hire you to kind of promote <laughs> myself as a thought leader um, in children's podcasting. But yeah, I think that's—I think—I think that's a totally fair thing to say. Um, and um, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm kind of very interested in exchanging my knowledge and and kind of participating in spreading the word about this. One of the things that we want to do is we want to kind of create a template where other people can do similar projects to what we've done without making the same mistakes that we made early on. So I, I think the the more of this content that's out there, the better it is for all of us. Still, do you think you'll stay? working with this within this genre um i'm sort of conscious that you are so you're in academia uh you've written a book uh you've now pivoted to kids content is there another pivot coming up have you got something else on the horizon or no i think this i think i'm gonna ride this horse for a while <laughs>
I find it really fun and really rewarding. So previously, my like I, I, ha, I have made quite a hard pivot, um, uh, quite a significant pivot in recent years. My my early radio work um, when I was doing things for national public radio stations and even a few projects for the BBC 15 or 20 years ago, um, they were much more kind of uh, slightly esoteric podcasts, a kind of Melvin Bragg type podcasts, yeah. uh, ra sorry, radio programs. Um, uh, they were much more theoretical. And, and my previous academic publishing in the field of media was about media legislation, media law, um, uh, democracy and media. It was, it was much more academic and theoretical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was rewarding to me but the articles that I would publish in scholarly journals would get read, you know, 12 times in two years. So you're not, you know, you're not reaching a massive audience. I, I kind of have downplayed the number somewhat, but it's, it's not that far off on, on some of them. So I, I wanted to, to have more of an impact in the real world. And the book, the podcasting, the audio media revolution that I did with Lance, that was a kind of moment where, we both try to kind of be much more public facing and be much more kind of engaged with the nitty gritty of stuff that was happening on the ground. And a lot of the material in that book is sort of documenting a creative scene with the words and the interviews of the best producers of some of the in most interesting and most well-known podcasts from about 2014 up through uh, 2018. And uh, we did a podcast series off the back of that called For Your Ears Only, where we took that research and we made it even more accessible. So it was kind of designed as an entree into understanding what podcasting is and understanding how it's different from radio mm. for lots and lots of people who are just starting to think about making podcasts or um, uh, doing creative things in audio. It wasn't, you know, like how to make a podcast. It wasn't how to show, but it was, here's what you should be thinking about if you're going to do this, because this is different from the way we used to do it in radio. It's wild, isn't it? How different it is, because you would think if you looked at if I had to describe a, a podcast to you and then describe a radio show to you in so many ways, many of their attributes would be precisely the same like a person talking you listen to it it's non-visual uh they last for about the same amount of time uh there's no money very little money in either of them <laughs> uh but they are different and yeah, I, they are huge. I would you struggle. need to read my book again eight yeah uh, so yeah so there there are i i uh ticked off lance and i ticked off when we were writing the book 11 key traits that are significant to podcasting, more prominent in podcasting than they are in radio. Things like intimacy, lots and lots of podcasts connect with people in a more human way because it's more of a one-to-one -one medium. People mm -hmm. often listen in earbuds. It goes into your body in a way that radio doesn't really. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more mobile most of the time people are listening to podcasts while they commute, while they're walking on the street, while they're doing other things. So it's designed for distribution over the internet. It's designed to be consumed on mobile portable devices and producers, a lot of producers work with that knowledge. Um, there are lots of other, you know, lots of other significant traits. There the podcasts are, are evergreen. They can be around theoretically forever, mm -hmm. uh, whereas radio programs aren't. Podcasts have no base text or er text. You can go and edit a, a podcast years after it's been released. You can add apologies. You can um, correct mistakes. You can rotate ads you can do lots of things that you can't do with uh, a radio program it's also economically quite different so we were talking earlier about the freedom that comes along with podcasting that's another thing it's there's a huge amount of freedom um there are no gatekeepers there are no commissioning editors but 
what I came back to you with when you when you kind of mentioned that is there's also much less support. So you have to be more creative about your funding than if you had the institutional support of a BBC radio station. So a lot of a lot of it, as as you've kind of just demonstrated here in the past few minutes, it, it works on a kind of freemium model where you're giving away the podcast. There's a there's a kind of lost leader in the podcast, but there's a hope that your listeners will be motivated to support you on Patreon or buy your merch or if you're a comedian, come to your gigs. So lots and lots of comedians. I can't think of one that doesn't have their own podcast. Yeah. And the idea is, you know, they use it to develop a fan base, to try out new material, but also to drive those fans that they've brought to their podcast to buy tickets for their gigs. But so there's so have you noticed like there's a few of them who have just like the the podcast used to be a promotional tool for them to get people to the gigs yeah and now i I suspect this is more the case in north america because of the size of the market but now people like tim dylan for example uh has said like he's on record saying like i don't even know if i'll carry on doing stand-up like i honestly enjoy the podcast more and i get it i totally understand it because it's like you don't have to worry about the jokes not working it's relaxed it's in your cabin it's like you know it's just yeah. easy yeah 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 and i mean and if he if he if he can afford it that's great yeah i i was thinking about about comedians who who need that gig money yeah. you know to yeah. to pay the rent yeah i mean it's i suppose when when I started doing a podcast, it was I, I came into it thinking I've completely missed the boat. Um, the market is already saturated. This was like, um, I guess, about 18 months ago now. Um, and I just assumed it, you know, I would do 10 episodes and then see what the feedback was and decide if I was going to continue doing it. Um, and the feedback was reasonably positive And then it just slowly grew. And I... I it was about six months ago now i was thinking i'm so glad that i stuck with this because it's absolutely within my character that i would have done like 10 shows and gone yeah i'll move on to something else um but it's i i suppose the, the reason I, I like bringing this sort of stuff up is like rather than bragging that it's grown and that it attracts yeah. a, a a steady listener base now is more like there's still a market out there. Like if people are thinking, are listening to this and thinking, oh, I would start a podcast, but everyone's got one already. Like as long as you keep at it and you've decided what your show is going to be about and you're reasonably confident that you're providing something to them that is of value, um, I think go for it still, even now. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what you need, I mean, we're kind of we're drifting off topic from sure. from kids' podcasts, but I think what you need to make a podcast work is a really, really clear understanding of what you're doing. So you need a very, very clear definition that is not long, like 10 words, 10 or 12 words. Reduce it down to 10 or 12 words and and come up with an avatar of your imagined listener. So what traits do you imagine your average listener is going to have or your desired listener is going to have? And then put some of those traits into a Google image or any other search engine and find a, a, a photo of your imagined listener and write a paragraph about who they are and what they do and where they live and work and what media they consume and what their social life is and put that above your microphone and ask all of your production questions to that avatar and then you'll have something you know you'll have you'll have something that is that that has legs and yeah what you mentioned as well being consistent it's that's that's so important yeah you can't have five episodes and then disappear you got it and, and that's the hard work and, and i don't think you're unique in in kind of uh moving on to the next thing uh, but if you can be disciplined about it um you will develop a following yeah yeah and it's it's well the other thing i was just going to touch on there was so you can be consistent but you can also adapt and evolve so yes yeah totally like i, th I think the the work ethic like the showing up and doing the work and uploading it and writing the bios and the descriptions and like all of the admin that comes with it is the consistency to my mind and then the adapting and evolving i like when i started this it was supposed to be like a tech show like i was going to talk to people from different variants of the technology industry 
from like UX to copywriting to front end development to recruitment to like and just get different different people's perspectives and then I would sit back and just crack jokes with them yeah. uh but then I found I suppose through doing like more TikTok political stuff and the people that I was meeting through doing that that uh I was developing a, a modest following just ranting about politics yeah uh and so I thought well what if I brought the TikTok audience over to the podcast audience and I just ranted because I could rant about politics all fucking day I do I mean um <laughs> And then that seems to have that seems to have sort of paid dividends, if you like, although not financially. Uh, <laughs> but it's I, I I like the fact that it's sort of adapted and evolving. And and I think it was on you know the King podcaster of them all on Joe Rogan that he said uh, he was like you know for the first hundred or two hundred episodes of your podcast you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You just... Yeah, it's true. It's totally true. Yeah. yeah, you're figuring it out unless you've done them before. You know, unless you unless you you have a track record and yeah. a method. Or unless yeah. you've got focus groups and uh... yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you can afford to buy, spend some money on focus groups, then yeah, it's it you, you kind of can avoid a lot of wrong turns. Yeah, did you or have you like whilst you were just just to bring us back on topic here, um, yeah. while you were working on the Reds, did you come up with any ideas for, uh, for like plot points or character traits, where you thought ah oh, that would be so good, but it's not really child appropriate so um okay so yeah i mean we would do that every writer's room we would you know we would we would throw out jokes um that you or i would find funny and um would be a bit uh obscure or a bit rude or a bit off color <laughs> as my mother would have said um but uh obviously you know you, you kind of you satisfy that urge you scratch that itch in the moment and then you remember that you know this might be played in a classroom to nine-year-olds and you do want to get you want to get into the classrooms because they are you know that that is that is a, a very clear and easy way to uh to reach a lot of kids um and in fact what we're doing now is we've got PSHE association accreditation uh, for some teaching resources that we built around the res. So we're now in um, dozens of schools around the country uh, that the, those resources, the res um, story and audio is in those classrooms. And, uh, and that's, that's really rewarding. So you have to kind of, you have to keep your eyes on the prize uh, and remember that imagined listener. But yeah, you know, obviously we had a we had a lot of jokes that um, uh, we couldn't use. That would kill me. I would be, <laughs> I would be like <laughs> in the writers' room, like cause I like I like to be expressive and I like metaphor and I would like to think on a good day when I'm not you know hanging out my ass like hemorrhoids that I'm <sighs> I'm able to string a sentence together and and. Uh, uh, and but if you I... know, say again. No, but I was going to say the, the the trick is, I mean, it, it's much harder to be funny for a nine year old than it is yes. to be funny for a thirty nine year old. I think <laughs> I find personally. Yeah. And, you know, I because because you know I, I'm closer to thirty nine than I am nine, and I can I you know I I, I live in that world. But to try and kind of get yourself in the headspace of what a nine-year-old is going to find funny, you have to consume a lot of kids' media. But also, we ran focus groups, creative workshops beforehand where we hit the kids up for lots of ideas about characters and about, about plot points and about problems, about issues that they were having and how they might resolve them and about goofy gizgogs and gadgets in the future that they imagined. And we tried to roll those into the show. So, um, you know, we, we very much worked with the young people to try and produce something that they would like, that they would resonate with. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, well, it sounds like you've done a good job of it. Thanks. Much, much better job than, uh, than I would be able to. Like, I, <laughs> If I tried to amuse my son and he's six, so okay. his sense of humor is not particularly advanced. Yes. But like he's already old enough that he's figured out that his dad isn't funny. <laughs> so like I will crack a joke that I think is funny and age appropriate. I will throw that out there as okay, well. Okay, okay. Uh you know, I'm not throwing Fs and C bombs at my kids. Okay. Uh, 
but um i'll i'll crack a joke and it'll he'll be like dead pat he'll be not just not amused but like unimpressed <laughs> yeah he'll but be that's like, because you're his dad if you tried it on some random six-year-old you might have better luck yeah i, I don't know I'm, like, although you might also get arrested so well, steer is clear of those play parks yeah but like so he's my test he's my sounding board so if okay. my joke doesn't land well with him i'm too scared to try it on anyone else so <laughs> um yeah i don't know man I, I think if i was in a writer's room for for kids content i would just it's just how the joke i suppose the joke cogs work differently in everyone's brains don't they but yeah the sort of stuff that leaps to the front of my mind whatever the chemical reaction is that goes on in the brain that connects two things and finds the overlap and then says like, Oh, you should say this, this would be like, whatever that is, it always seems to lock into something dark or sweary or, you know, like, yeah. like not offensive, but kind of dancing in that neighborhood. <laughs> kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. 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 I, it is a skill. It's, a, it's, it's, but you know, I, I didn't have it really until i worked on this project and mm. and i think one of the one of the things i i learned so much from the uh the more seasoned kids writers on season one um you know just they 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 got on the, and, and the comics writers as well comic books i know there are lots of adult comic books but but we were working with hannah barry who was then the comic book laureate uh in the uk and had done a lot of work for um, mostly kids comics like most comics are um and you know they have a they have a kind of um playful minds you know headspace that you can you know you could see what they're doing and you could kind of inhabit that same space and a lot of it is also i mean there are a lot of the, I, I think the thing that might be easier for kids than for adults is formulaic comedy works much much better for kids because they're just starting to get the idea of the formula in their head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the rule of three, you know, two similar things, setting up a third thing. And then the third thing is a real curveball. Mm -hmm. that, that really does work with kids. Yeah. That's interesting. Isn't it? It's like a, I've, I think you're the first person I've spoken to certainly on the podcast uh, that's talked about that as though it's a, it's like joke mechanics, but it is that right. Yeah. It's like, so, people talk about the power of three uh typically the sort of context i've heard it in before is like knocking on a door it's like bang 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 like the reason that people knock on a door three times is because there's a power to it oh, okay um but yeah in terms of like the mechanics of humor it's also there it's like i used to call that like build up and crash down when i was yeah. doing uh stand up because it's like you can you start off with point one and that's a little bit here. And then point two is just a little bit further, really exaggerating it now. Then when you get up to point three, the expectation is that you're still in this area, but actually you crash it down over here where, you know, they're not expecting. Um, it's interesting yeah. that that lands really well with kids though. It does. I, I find it, I find it lands really well. Yeah. I, and I find in a way like, like grownups can kind of see that coming in a way that kids don't. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, I see like, so when sometimes when I watch uh, comedians on TV, I get really snobby about it because I, yeah. I can see this stuff coming a mile off. Yeah. Um, but uh, oh, I but remember no, the other thing I was going to ask you about. So have you, I mean, speaking of snobbiness now, but have you encountered any snobbiness around this where, you know, you say that you are working on a podcast for kids that's designed to instill the idea of kindness and uh, empathy and and then because it's a podcast do have people been like why don't you just write a book like you should be teaching kids to read this stuff and not, um, anything like that i you know i honestly really haven't but that may be the circles that i travel in you know i don't um i i don't tend to get invited anymore to the kind of heavy duty literary theory conferences. Okay. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I think where I am at the university of Sussex, which has always been a very forward thinking, very progressive university in the school of media arts and humanities that has a lot of other people working on fun, creative projects. Um, I, I feel quite at home and, and there's not a lot of snobbiness, but also like a, any snobbiness that that is there is easily deflected 
by pointing to my other work. So I've, you know, I've recently done a podcast for displaced Syrian farmers, for example, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it was a, a very different project, a much harder project in many ways, but you know, I have, I have books and articles behind me that, you know, I can point to to deflect that. The other thing is that, you know, the res broke really big. And uh, amongst my colleagues, I hope I'm not putting anybody's nose at a joint, but, you know, I have a lot, my audience is much, much bigger than most of my colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, epic I, brag. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I, you know, I can, I can, I can, uh, can, I, can I cut that down? That'll be the trailer for this okay. episode. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah it's um uh it 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 buys a lot of uh it buys a lot of attention and time so yeah, yeah. there's like i was saying before like 12 12 readers on an academic article you know like we have you know hundreds of thousands on the res so it's yeah it's much the, the feedback is important right i think if you're in any way creative you want to know that the stuff that you're putting out there is being appreciated and and is useful to people um I like, I mean, one of the reasons I fell in love with doing live comedy was because that, I mean, you can, you can make video sketches and you could do like Vine was a big, like, yeah, I remember Vine. Yeah. Yeah. Where Um, did that go? That disappeared. uh, Twitter bought it and then they didn't know what to do with it and they shut it down. Okay. Um, But, but you can make these sort of, you know, online video shorts or whatever, but it's, it's nothing like being in a room saying words into a microphone and just feeling a crowd come to life and like the joke that you wrote at three o'clock that afternoon just like catches fire in a room you're like fuck this is amazing yeah um and i suppose you get a a similar feeling like you're a lecturer right um it's not quite like live comedy but you know it's you get that interaction from your students um yeah yeah I, i i get i get a lot of that from um from the res and from my podcast work i think teaching at the moment higher education in britain is is it's a much it's a much harder place to be than it was 10 years ago because uh, the student body is changing we're we're taking a lot of foreign students um who are great and interesting and really enrich the overall experience of the university but their english is often not so good and I, you know i'm struggling and often they come from different educational cultures where they're they see their role as student is to just be silent and take notes right. um, and allow me and my brilliance to fill them up but uh you know that that's not that's not particularly rewarding for me i i do get a lot of i I get a lot of rewards from listening to my podcasts with colleagues and with friends because we do you know we were talking about writing for kids but you know we smuggle lots of jokes for grown-ups in there so in over over the course of two seasons the baddies we we have three baddies in Mm -hmm. the series um jeff elon and zucks right so that you know there there's kind of and there, there are kind of jokes about exposure therapy, and you know, there, there, there are little nuggets in there for for the grownups. And I love, I love kind of, we're very disciplined about not doing those. You know, maybe one of those every couple of episodes. But when you get them in there and when they work, that's that's very fun. And you, you yeah. must have had that too, uh, or still do as a, as a, doing doing comedy work. You know, the kind of. When you've done something clever, when you've conceived of something clever in your mind and it works, I mean, that is just gloriously satisfying. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, like, I mean, that's the sort of thing I was going to like link back to was like, so the feedback that you get from the res versus the 12 readers or so that you had for your papers, yeah. uh, they must be sort of in- incomparable. Um, yeah, it is the same. Like, so if I like, I'm, I don't go out and gig very often now, but um, if I do a, a video on TikTok about whatever the polit- political story is of the day, and then if I put that on Twitter, if it explodes on Twitter, uh, I feel like, like not just sort of validated in a sort of childish social media way, but like I've constructed some jokes in there that sufficient hundreds or thousands of people have, they think it's funny and they yeah, think it's yeah. clever. Then I'm just like, fuck! 
I'm not an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's like all of the insecurities and uh, self-loathing from my teens and twenties. It's like, no, dad, see, you're all right. Yes. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's so it's so wonderful when that happens. It's so it's so rewarding. So yeah, yeah. I was going to say also. So, um, where I was saying about like the the potential for people to be a bit snobby about a new medium, uh, like like using podcasting to to give a a specific message to kids. Um, are you familiar with and and maybe you've looked at it in your book on podcasting, but like. I, I read something about a study a while back where they were saying people who listen to audiobooks, they studied at like a human brain as someone's reading, uh, sorry, listening to an audiobook, and it lights up the same parts of the brain as if they were just sat there reading it. Like, like yeah, 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 yeah. And, the, like, and the, the parts that it lights up are the um, the engagement parts where you're not just um creating an image in your mind so it's the part i don't i don't remember you know it's been a lot it's been quite a while since i that paper came across my you know, that research came across my computer screen but i seem to remember the, the 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 visual cortex is the one that lights up because you're creating images in your mind while you're listening to a podcast or while you're reading a book and the kind of the nice the nice um uh other aspect of it is there are now loads and loads of studies that show your attachment, the attachments you make to characters that you hear mm. um, are much more profound than attachments to characters uh, that you see. So when you're when you're reading a book or you're reading a book to a child, um, they're developing stronger attachments through their ears than they are through their eyes. And that I think is, you know, it's, it's just a, such a wonderful, wonderful power of what it is we're doing. It's, um, like, it's so interesting as well, isn't it? To think about like, why, why are our brains like that? Like, why is it that if you listen and, you know, perhaps people are listening to this podcast now and listening to my voice and they feel more connected to me. Perhaps they've had the good fortune that they haven't seen one of the video clips, so they have no idea what I look like. <laughs> but they they feel the connection to me or you that they wouldn't feel it, like were they watching yeah, no, version. you're totally right. And I think, you know, there's lots of other anecdotal evidence about this. And I'm sure, um, uh, yeah, well, I, I'm probably a bit older than you, so I won't include you in this. But I remember when uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, a, a, a radio series, I remember when my parents bought me for one Christmas the cassettes, the cassette set of um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, and I, you know, I listened to that over and over again. I loved it. And then I, I remember coming across the TV show and just hating it because yeah. none of the characters looked anything like the characters that I had created in my mind. Yeah. And people say that about books as well. Like if you've read the book of something and yeah. then they make it into a movie, yeah, you just like, well, this is shit like i i imagined it so much better than exactly and it was better it was better in your mind yeah. yeah i i uh somebody got me a t-shirt uh one birthday uh that says movies ruining the book since 1920 yeah <laughs> and then by the time they so like if they take the, the book then make it into a movie you're already unhappy and then when yeah. they make a sequel yeah the yeah, sequel's yeah. never as good as the original as well well never. now we're all fucked yeah it's um, true yeah so if you had to pursue just one academia uh, kids podcasts or writing a book for grown-ups if you had to choose one of those gun to your head which would you pursue are we talking um what are we talking here personal fulfill fulfillment financial security or social benefit what are we talking here? Because I'll, I'll pick one for each of those. Like financial security. I used to be able to say financial security being an academic, although with the with the cuts to the to our pensions that um, have been happening in recent years, I'm not so sure. Um, doing a podcast for kids definitely um, uh, ticking a box on on fulfilling a need, doing something good mm. for the world, trying to make a difference. Uh, I think that 
that's that's where I'm at now, and that's that's where I'm going to put more and more of my energy. Fortunately, I can do both in tandem. I can I can be an academic and do my kids' podcasts, and then writing a book. I mean, that would be that would be personally fulfilling to me. Um, uh, in terms of, I have a lot of things that I want to express about me and my experiences and the way I see the world, um, uh, and how I think about life, the universe, and politics. Um, uh, so that, you know, but I think if I'm going to, if I'm going to choose one, if you, what you're asking me to do is choose one, I'll choose kids podcasting. It's a pretty admirable like route to go, I think, uh, because I think like a lot of people, myself included in this junk, like I would, I'd feel this sort of egocentric need to like tell my stuff. The world needs to hear my story, Martin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's nice that you have this sort of urge to, uh, to to help others, and I guess that's sort of you know part of the you know the the core pillars of of the podcast itself. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I I think you know I think I think we all you know we all go through phases in our lives where different things are important. When I was younger, when I was just starting out in radio, I was making some really esoteric um uh hard to listen to frankly stuff that i was very proud of and you know managed to get broadcast but you know it didn't it it was stuff that i made for me because i wanted to prove i could do it and uh and get it out there but now i just kind of i think i think about media as existing much more as a relationship rather than a thing you know it's not a pretty picture on a screen or a sound in the air it's it's a relationship it's a kind of dance that I'm doing, me as producer, um, uh, with a listener or or with a kind of network of other creators and consumers. It's a kind of it's a it's a relationship. It's a dance, and that that's where it really exists and is is really uh, present and and born as a relationship. And I think I get that more in podcasting. And I'm sure you do too, you know, with, with your, with your cult on Patreon, um, you know, there, there's something, it's not just narcissism. You're kind of, you're, you're creating a space where something can happen, where you bring something and they bring something and it kind of rubs up, they rub up against each other and something new happens. And I, you know, I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something you're right. It's, it's probably not unique to podcasting. I think back to like older iconic radio shows like Opie and Anthony mm. um who who managed to sort of almost build I don't want to say a community this sort of a community that they had road shows and shit right yeah so did Howard Stern yeah right yeah, yeah. Stern's probably a, a more famous example um of these you know in jokes and kind of like in jokes were the sort of grandfathers of memes I guess like, yeah yeah in radio yeah circles. that's a good way to put it um and I but I think podcasting, it, it sort of, I don't know, it yields something in that neighborhood, but like, a you know, the next generation on. And so when I watch or listen to podcasts like the, are you familiar with H, H3 Productions? No, they can't say that. So it's like a husband and a wife and they started off doing YouTube uh, reaction videos and he would just like watch other people's YouTubes and then uh, roast them. And then they moved into podcasting and there was so much like fan art and memes and in jokes and every, like, and it just strikes me as this sort of, yeah, I don't know, very unique kind of community fueled show um, rooted entirely in the personalities of the two hosts. And yeah. I just think that's really cool. And if I could sort of emulate something close to that would be amazing. And I, I can't see people achieving that like outside of the realm of podcasting right now i agree yeah i th and i think um i think the secret to say opie and anthony you know it, it's it's the chemistry that they have between them and i think the best a lot of the best podcasts whether we're talking you know two guys in a garage or a show like Radio Lab, where it's not uncommon for them to spend a hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars on one hour of audio. Um, they're about interaction between two people, two personalities. Radio Lab historically it's, it's got different hosts now, but Jada Boomerad and Robert Krolwich, they you know they had a kind of 
uh, dynamism and energy, and there were roles that they played in relationship to each other, and mm. you got you got used to them. And I think that is a real strength of podcasting. And I think you know if you had if you had a co-host, um, uh, your show would it'd be very different, but it might it might get get you to that kind of energy and interaction that you're talking about. Probably, it's probably not going to happen. I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, but with individual guests, one off of a Friday evening, um, probably harder to make that work. Yeah. I mean, like originally I thought I'll start off doing Skype calls with people because we were in the pandemic or, or in the throes of the pandemic. Um, and I thought, well, if I could build it up whilst everything's sort of, you know, winding down, um, and then with a view to getting people into the studio, because there's a couple of comedy clubs locally and there's obviously touring comics. And uh, I thought, well, if they've got a show at like nine o'clock, they could come down here, do the podcast for an hour and then go off and do their set. Um, so it's sort of, you know, in my periphery to get uh, people live in person in here. Um, but I am somewhat hindered about having a co-host because I live in a town where like we we're that we're that family that like we were in london and then yeah. we got priced out and then yep. we got priced out further and now we live in the fucking shittest town in hampshire i don't know anyone here martin i'm like i'm like i mean the schools are good so there's that yeah, yeah, yeah. and we finally got on the ladder albeit maybe temporarily seeing how the interest rates go but uh but yeah i don't know anyone really in this town so um uh, I don't know, maybe I'll just go and heckle some people on the street and be like, do you, want to, do you want to come back to my shed? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be funny, yeah. I yeah. think, again, uh, steer clear of the old bill when you're out on the pavement doing that. But um... Yeah, that's good advice. Um, cool. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Other, beyond beyond <laughs> that, I, I really don't know what to say. Okay, last question for you. Right, so you sure. mentioned uh, in like earlier in your career, you did some quite esoteric uh, radio stuff. Um yeah. Is that stuff kind of time boxed? Do you still have tapes of that? Would it still like? Have you considered uploading it now as an independent podcast somewhere? It's, most of it has been uploaded by other people. Um, so I have a, uh, um, I have an archive of all my early radio projects um, that is at the State University of New York at Buffalo in the states, um, which is in a box in uh, in the Poetry and Rare Books collection, in between. Uh, a walking stick that James Joyce once owned and um, some manuscripts from T.S. Eliot. So I'm, I'm very happy to be in there amongst the, amongst yeah. the poets um, uh, in a, in a, a room that if the building catches on fire, they suck all the oxygen out of it so that if there's any librarian in there, they will die. But, but at least my dat tapes won't get, won't get burned, won't get melted. Um, what was I saying at the, at the beginning of the show? I was like, you know, last time it was really dark, you know, it was a bit depressing what we were talking about, but it's nice that this time it's really uplifting. Uh, <laughs> Until the bitter end. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, there, there's stuff out there if people are interested. Uh, my first big nationally distributed show was called Line Break. Uh, which was interviews and performances with some very, very edgy literary types in the 90s. And then in the early, late 90s and early noughties, I did a show called Radio Radio, um, which was some very cutting edge sound artists, critically savvy DJs and um, top flight radio and audio producers and sound designers. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of was my model for the book that Lance Down and I did podcasting the audio media revolution, interviewing people who are at the top of their game in this emergent medium uh, and using those interviews to synthesize some observations about this new form. So yeah, it's, it's out there. There's, there's stuff and, and, and also some, some even more esoteric creative stuff that I did um, for Resonance FM in London and some galleries in the US. Um, yeah, it's there. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I encourage people to go and uh, go and go finding, go searching and scavenging for your uh, your earlier work. Yeah. I, um, you won't find anything too embarrassing. I, I, well, I, you know, yeah. I don't know. Let's not rule it out. Uh, <laughs> Apart from me here with you, Age. That's yeah. it. Yeah, in twenty years' time, you'll be like, oh, yeah, when it, go look, go look for the other stuff, but don't look for the Age Thompson one. Um, 
thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight uh, again, Professor Martin Spinelli. Um, you can, you guys listening to this uh, should go and check out the Res. You can grab it at uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, and I think I'm correct in saying you're on Twitter, right, Martin? You know, I am, uh, but uh, I. To make a long story short, I don't check it very much. And when I need to, I pay a 20-year-old to do it because it's bad for me. Fine. Fine. I thought I thought you were leading up to, you know what? I am, Aid, but actually I've blocked you. So this is a really awkward. Um, no, no, no. You can, you can message me all you want. Um, <laughs> the, the 20-year-old named Sophia that I hired to do it will get back to you in due course. Cool, cool. So you can give, yeah, find Martin on, on Twitter and give him a follow and talk to Sophia if you should so wish. Um, thanks once again to my guest tonight, uh, Professor Martin Spinelli. Thank you so much to all of the Patreons uh, supporting the show. We can quickly uh, run through those now. We can give you a credit at the end of each show uh, or naming and shaming, depending on who you're bragging to. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're showing this podcast to your mate and then I read out your name, you know, maybe that's quite cool. But if you're showing this podcast to your mother and then I read out your name, she's probably going to be like, do you seriously want your name attached to this fucking nonsense? Like, <laughs> um, anyway, on that note, thank you so much to Anthony, Pingu, David, Alex, Aaron, Chris, and Ricardo, and then silent T-Rex, Oliver, Sarah, Paul, and Kerry, thank you guys so much. You give my funny bone a funny boner. I'll be back next week uh, with the solo show on Wednesday, in which I will no doubt be ranting about Tories for an hour. Um, and then I'll be back next Friday night with a brand new guest. Can you believe it? Uh, thanks once again to Martin for joining me tonight. Catch up with the rest of you soon. Cheers. Ciao for now. We outie.